This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Today's guest is Chris Cresswell, guitarist and lead vocalist for the Richmond Hill, Ontario, Canada punk rock band, The Flatliners. Together, we break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the fan-favorite single, Hang My Head, taken from their 2017 album, Inviting Light. Chris took us back to where his head was at when he penned these lyrics. Self-admittedly, he's generally a positive person all around, but he found himself in a dark place emotionally around the writing of this song, doing a lot of self-reflection, both within himself as well as lifelong friends and acquaintances. He credits both producers, Peter Van Helvert and Derek Hoffman, with honing in on the instrumentation in particular, making sure the guitar chords were voicing themselves in a way that best suited the song, and trying to capture the right vibe, choosing to work in two separate studios to achieve this. The song sounds phenomenal. I love the separation between the instruments and Chris's voice has never sounded better. Oh, and at the top of the show, we reminisce about Hot Water Music, a band I've known for years and had the chance to be a member of for one show, who Chris now plays guitar for, as well as pulling double duty in the Flatliners. Pretty cool. For all this and a whole lot more, stick around. Hey, hey, have you heard? Chris makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Chris makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Chris makes a podcast. Well, hey, Chris. Long time no talk. How you doing? I'm fantastic, buddy. How are you? Yeah, it has been a long while. I am great. You know, I, I was thinking today, I was I was driving home today before you and I hopped on here to talk. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very cliche. We've all heard it, how nice Canadian people are. But, uh, <laughs> you know, they are. And you are one of the absolute nicest guys I've ever met in the business. So I'm, I'm honored and happy to, to talk to you today. Well, I appreciate that. I'm here to smash that stereotype. So buckle up, buddy. <laughs> buckle the hell up. <laughs> well, got a lot of history. I do. My band does with uh, the Flatliners. You guys have uh, been around since 2002. It's it's crazy to think your first record was released all the way back in 05. Yeah. We've done a bunch of shows together with you. And then, of course, for the listeners, Chris also plays in a Hot Water Music, which are fellow Gainesville alumni of Less Than Jake. And it's crazy. You had done some shows with them in 2017, and you had some Flatliners commitments, and the band had a show, one single show down in Sao Paulo, Brazil, that uh, they called me and said, man, we need, we're in a pinch. We need a guitar player. Can you do this? I said, okay. 
And uh, Chris, you were so kind to me because I start getting into these parts and, you know, the band was just like, you know, Jason even told me, Jason from Hot Boy, he's like, oh, you'll figure it out. You're a pro. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, here's the 20 songs. I'm, I'm going through it. And some of their early recordings, it's hard to d- discern what guitar parts they, there were. And Absolutely. You, you were so gracious. Uh, you hopped on a, a Zoom with me and went through guitar parts a, a couple different nights, as yeah, a matter yeah, yeah. of fact. And I've always said that the guitar parts aren't technically difficult but they're mentally difficult their guitar player chris wallard doesn't ever really play the same thing twice in a song and uh you (laughs) you had agreed (laughs) that that was the case we got on the zoom we went through it and again i want to thank you for that it it was a lot of help and and you're the perfect fit for that band i'm stoked for you oh thanks man it's yeah i appreciate it yeah i remember those calls it was because i hadn't even been I don't think I'd played more than four shows with them or something at that point, but everyone was giving Waller the space that, you know, he deserved and needed and everything like, you know, which was the reason for my inclusion in the band and everything. So it was, I mean, you guys hung out, I feel like that one time, didn't you? Like talking about the songs and everything? Did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I got together with Chris for, we did like a cram session. I was in Gainesville, I think doing something with Less Than Jake. Yeah. And then, uh, I got together with Chris and we went over, probably spent a couple hours and then I left. I'm like, okay, I got this. And I got home, I'm like, I don't got this. And that's when I reached out to you. <laughs> There's something interesting about all those songs and that, that band's catalog. It requires some mental gymnastics to not only learn the songs as a player, because I've been a longtime fan, you know, but like learn them as a player, uh, it, it really requires a lot of attention to detail because they, it really, they like, they weave in and out of each other, like Chris's part, Chuck's part, like on the guitar. And like you said, those early records, it's really hard to figure out who's playing what. I've, I feel like it's a true story that one of the records, it might have been Fuel for the Hate Game, they literally just set up one amp with one, you know, they dialed in settings for one amp and like Chris finished his parts and then Chuck like just plugged into the same amp with the same settings like, oh, I'll do mine. <laughs> so it's just yeah, the I, same tone. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, working on a shoestring budget, it's like, yeah. you know, we got we got a thousand dollars. Go. Hit yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, I, I could definitely see that. But yeah, no, you know, the guitar parts are sometimes Chris is playing chords. He's doing these noodly parts. And, yeah. and less than Jake, unless it's an intro or a solo part. I mean, I'm playing chords. So this was a complete change of mindset uh, yeah. for me to get into. But, but you're a shredder, though. You are a shredder. Maybe to some people you're a what we call in the business a secret shredder but i've seen it in the flesh <laughs> live up in, uh, in person many times and you're a shredder man so it's i think i i know that me playing with hot water now has made me a much better guitar player over the years with the flats i always got better and better each time we did a record or each time we went on tour for a you know 17 months straight or whatever it would be but with with hot water it was it's just a bit of a different beast so yeah it really it really pushed me to like get a lot better. I'm really glad you said that because as players, uh, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the show, but I feel like I plateau. And every once in a while, I'll have a breakthrough. Early on, that breakthrough was every three weeks. And then it was every three yeah. months. And then it was every three years. And I feel like around 2017, when I got the call for that gig, that I was in a long drought of a plateau. I was, I was at a long plateau. And that made me a better player. I feel that that elevated my my thinking more so than the technicality of how I approached the guitar, which, yeah. is, as you know, is, is just as important as the you know, technical aspect of it. 100%. Yeah. I mean, you kind of fall in and not out of love, but in, in love and... And then you kind of, it's, it's like, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a comfort level that comes from that, but then you can always fall deeper in love with it. You know what I mean? And I think like, sometimes it just takes a little time away from the thing you've been doing. If that's for you, that's less than Jake. If it's for me, it's the flats or whatever it is, you know, like it's, uh, 
being pushed to your like outside of your comfort zone is is musically like the best the best thing you mm-hmm. could ever do you know and i think uh, for some reason the flats uh guys and myself over the last 20 years now if i, I can't i can't even believe that but we neither can i we <laughs> we've we've you guys some... are still you guys are still kids to me you'll always be kids to me <laughs> we feel we feel equal parts like kids and much older than we are because we started touring so young you know so like things are starting to fall apart uh you know physically speaking uh maybe uh around now but we're trying to rebuild you know what i mean we're trying to stay we're trying to stay right and tight no but it's like for some reason the guys and i have always tried to sometimes we wouldn't even try to i guess we just end up pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone like that's kind of why each of our records as the flatliner sounds i would say vastly different you know that's why i've always loved your band it you guys never played it safe and that's hard that's hard to do. Either yeah. either you stay true to what the fans and people think your band is, or you branch out. And then a lot of times it's a catch twenty two. You're damned if you do. You're damned if you don't. It's like, yeah. oh, they they changed. It's not as good. Or oh, they stayed the same. They don't have any other ideas. Yeah. You know, you guys, yeah, you guys kept kept pushing. I mean, you listen to your first record, uh, you know, just destroy to create that to the Great Awake in 2007, 2010, You put out Cavalcade. Uh, 2013 dead language and then uh, of course inviting light from 2017 which we're going to talk about hang my head today you guys just kept pushing the envelope and it, it, it's been awesome to witness thanks man it's been uh it, it hasn't been easy but it's been a lot of fun i mean like you know it hasn't been overly difficult uh in an emotional kind of toll or anything it's taking but it's just it's work you know you know what i'm saying i mean like and it's uh it, t- it takes a lot of energy out of you to delve into your life and yourself and kind of like dredge up all this stuff is at least lyrically you know what i mean it can be but then on top of that when i mean i think the four of us are just all hopeless romantics with music so like i said just Mm -hmm. a second ago like we keep falling deeper in love with what we do and just music in general and like as that continues to happen and as we continue to grow as just people as well we realize that there's so much music out there that we can that we're getting into and that we enjoy and that we want to give a chance and really discover and like kind of experience more and more. And then it, that always just as what we're listening to and our tastes kind of evolve and change, it always comes through and what we write. I mean, and then, you know, we also, there's still like the other half of it is we're still listening to the same records we put on in the van 15 years ago, you know? <laughs> right. Well, you guys, you guys were great when you were kids and, and, I think you're the best you've ever been at this juncture. You've gotten better uh, as the years have went by, and your band Thanks, just keeps man. getting keep getting tighter. And you guys are shredders too. I'm gonna throw throw it back <laughs> into your court with that one. You guys are, are you got in a, the rest of your band, as you know. Yeah, I won't uh, blow too much smoke for, up you, but uh, as you know, the other three guys are rippers. Oh man. yeah, they're man, just absolutely. So, I'm a lucky guy to be so, in this band with these guys. Yeah, they're they're fantastic. But I want you to take us back to this time period. You know, it had it had been four years between Dead Language and Inviting Light. Do you recall writing Hang My Head? I do. The main kind of, you know, intro riff, I, I had it. It was kind of kicking around for a while. It was just one of those scraps that I had laying around, you know, and uh, which I mean, honestly, is like mostly how musically, at least songs start for me and for the flats and everything. And um, we were touring a lot. I mean, those were like heavy, heavy touring years between Cavalcade and Dead Language. And I think at that point we were all... I mean, we were all nearing 30, like, working on that record. And, like, you know, obviously in the grand scheme of things, that's very young still. But we well, we started touring when we were 17. So we were we had basically spent 10 years on the road uh, pretty heavily. I mean, like, you and I had spent a lot of time of those 10 years on the road together. And it's great. <laughs> yeah. And it's fun. And it's exciting. And we got to see the world and make amazing friends. And, 
you know, like all these amazing things, but it's just, it was a lot of time. And I think just those milestones of age in your life kind of put things in perspective. And uh, simultaneously, uh, as I was just mentioning before, like um, some of my musical tastes were changing and I was kind of, I was thinking more about um, how to approach new music more than I ever had before. Not necessarily like the kind of songs I wanted to write, but just kind of how I wanted the guitars to sound, um, how, you know, we could have, you know, like Paul, Paul, for instance, is an incredible drummer, but like maybe on, on like, you know, maybe for this new riff idea I have, like, it's not this crazy kind of like really bombastic, like super busy drum beat. Maybe it's something really simple to show how really solid of a drummer he is as well as technically proficient, you know, things like that. I just started like getting more and more into the kind of like the weeds of music um and it was exciting um but the record how the record turned out kind of surprised us as well like we didn't really realize how different maybe stylistically inviting light was shaping up to be while we were making it because we were so close to it we were we were the ones responsible for it right so i know i've told this story before but like there was a show we played kind of in the middle of recording because for a few records we would kind of record a bunch of songs and then sit on it for eight months, 10 months, maybe a year, and then like tour, and then like come back a year or whatever later and be like, well, do we like that song? Do we actually like this song over here? What are we going to do with that one? We gave it the kind of time and space that we thought it needed, and then we'd record some more ideas. So we did that with Cavalcade. We did that with Dead Language. We did that with Inviting Light. And anyway, so in that kind of in-between period of Inviting Light sessions, we had a show. And I can't remember what song it was, but it was a song from Dead Language that we went back to like learn to play at this show. And it was then that we realized like, oh shit, like this record, this new record's pretty different because listen to, like I'm trying to sound like Matt from the Bronx on this song here. <laughs> and then all the new songs I'm trying to like, I was trying to show people I can, I can sing too. I can just like deliver it yeah. in a clean way and all this stuff. So there was just a lot, like that time was really exciting for us because it really felt like a new chapter and it really felt like we were like taking a chance uh on ourselves all the while really not realizing how much of a chance we were actually taking it sounds silly right. to kind of put it that way but that's how it felt like we were just excited about it all uh and loving what we were coming up with and it, we knew it felt different but we didn't realize how different it was until everything was said and done yeah and i'm, I'm glad you brought up uh talking about singing because uh, wow. I mean, yeah, there, there's a, and we'll get into it here in a moment. I mean, you, you let out a, a crazy, uh, scream in this song in a couple parts. It's one of the main hooks I feel in this song, but in between the scream, you're singing like this, just very melodic. I mean, just very smooth voice. And I've always marveled at that. The guys that can do that, especially the, a lot of the screamo bands where they're going back and oh, yeah. forth between singing. So I'm like, how do you not shred your voice? And, you know, particularly you mentioned a moment ago, you know, we're not getting any younger here has that ever come into play and i like well maybe i don't want to scream that high or do that in a song because i'm gonna have to replicate that oh, live yeah. in 10 years <laughs> oh 100 i mean that was honestly like a lot of dead language the lyrics and the melodies i wrote for dead language the record that precedes inviting light i wrote when i had three roommates in a small toronto apartment and the band didn't have a pa system at our jam space so i was writing this stuff like in my bedroom you know, I was working at a bar. I was working at... No, hang on. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of that, a part of the writing for that, I was working at a bar. Anyways, I was just, I was on a different schedule than my roommates a lot of the time. And my brain from touring and working in a bar for a long time, like, operates best between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. It's like my witching <laughs> yeah, hour. Course. Those are, like, that's when I feel the most <laughs> like myself and when, like, all my dots are kind of connected, you know? And uh, so I was working on all this stuff for Dead Language at a time where I couldn't really, like, test it out. So I just committed to the key. We just, as a band, committed to the keys of these songs. And then I just committed to, you know, these melodies. And then when I got in the booth to record them, I was hit with the terrifying reality that most of that record, and I was younger then, obviously, like, was out of my range. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So for a few months, you know, the opening track on Dead Language, Resuscitation of the Year, we wanted to open the set with that song. Sorry, It took a few months to get it, you know, for my voice, like, and it was kind of embarrassing and rough and it was a huge learning curve for me. So that was a big, that was like, I think that was honestly a part of, or maybe, maybe the main catalyst as to like why I started to really think a lot more about building these next songs up from the ground up in a way that was like comfortable for everyone and we could replicate it live very well because I hopefully wouldn't be struggling to hit that note or to scream that part. And from all those years in the road of just completely shredding my vocal cords and doing like, you know, (laughs) I've done like really irreparable damage, I think, to my vocal cords over the years, uh, even at a young age. I just like had a different approach with singing, but I still wanted to show people like, I can still do the thing that you might like about my voice, which is the big yeah in Hang My Head (laughs) and other parts of this record, like Unconditional Love. There's... There's some gnarly stuff. The last song, No Rose, there's, you know, there's there's still that part of my voice, but I really wanted to, like, exercise the other part a lot more, you know, because I yeah. was afraid of, I mean, I wanted to show people that I could do it, and I wanted to show myself and my friends and the band I could do it, too, more than anything, but I also just was kind of, like, worried that I wouldn't be able to do the really gnarly stuff live. Yeah, well, and that's something as, uh, you know, mentioned ago, but a minute ago, we, as we get older as performers, it's like, you know, can I can I still do this? You want to give your all. And man, it, it, it's tough for me to watch some of my heroes out there now, and they're, they're playing like three keys lower than the original song, and you can just hear yeah. it. I mean, they, 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 they tune any lower, their, their guitar string is going to be rubber bands. <laughs> yeah, they'll be know? playing it's in like corn, my, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, my gosh, you know? Yeah. But in, regar- in regards to Hang My Head, do you recall at what, time during the making of the record it was written was it early on middle of the record or was it a last idea you brought into the to the recording studio this one was pretty early on it wasn't one of the first few but it was it was definitely among the i don't know the first like half dozen or something like that uh the original Mm -hmm. the working title for this song was joe dirt three um <laughs> for no good reason. I love it. For can, no good reason. Can we put yeah. that in the ads? Please. Yeah. Featuring Chris Cresswell, <laughs> Joe Dirt Joe Three. Dirt what? Three. Oh yeah. Yeah, that was the working title. And yeah, again, it was just a riff that I had laying around and then we jammed it a bunch. Like I remember jamming it at sound checks and stuff, but it never really like materialized to what well, we don't as a band work too well with writing on the road. We'll kind of jam stuff at soundcheck, but it's just, I, we, I think we feel like we're wasting everyone who's working at the club's time. Like, you want to hear us play those same fucking 16 bars over and over again? Like, nah. <laughs> like, you worked you worked five other shows this week, you know? Like, <laughs> you yeah. don't need to listen to us working it out. But, yeah, it was, uh, 
I mean, once once we were off the road, and it's such a blur to be honest. But like, like as far as putting the full song together, but I do recall like once we got back from the road, wherever we were, and we kind of sat with the idea. Like it did come together pretty quickly. It's a pretty simple song. It's a bit of a strange arrangement, but it's a pretty simple song in its parts. Well, I want to uh, I want to jump into those parts right now, if we can. The yeah. song is three minutes and twenty four seconds. A classic length. It's classic length. It's perfect. <laughs> it's can- Canadian length. Uh, That's right. <laughs> the intro. The intro is a cymbal hit and a snare that begin the song. The drums go into what I'm calling like that Motown beat. It's just cooking along, and there's like this open string single note guitar part that's predominantly panned off left. That goes on for four bars, and then for the next eight bars, the whole band's in at that right at that point. You let out that powerful, yeah. That scream, dude. I, I've always said the guys that can do that, I have scream envy. I might be able to get one out and then I'd be done the rest of the show. But it's just, that's a hook. That yeah in this song. I don't know if you ever really thought about it like that, especially at the end when it comes back. It's For just, sure. man, yeah. it is so good. And um, after that, yeah, the stereo guitars are, they do this like, well, right at the yeah, this chugga chugga stereo guitars uh, happen. And then the drums, bass, and guitars are all in with another higher pitch guitar riff that's doing that lead part. That Little twinkly so guy. Tasty. Yeah. Little, tw- little little twinkly guy, I love yeah. that. And then we're into uh, verse one. I'm going to read these lyrics, Chris, and I'm going to have you set them up for the listeners. Yeah. And that yeah is that scream. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that it's, ri- it's funny that it's written here, and it's funny that I'm speaking to you. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, way, it's way more than a yeah. Okay, this thing is, it's, uh, it's got, some, got some weight to it. Yeah, I'll hang my head for this legacy of embarrassment. Another yeah scream. <laughs> I usually sing along, but tonight I'll bite my tongue clean off. Where's your head at here? I think this was the beginning of me. How do I put this in not a super dark way? The funny thing is, is like I'm a pretty uh, like even keel person. But then when I when I sit down to write lyrics, it's never or not usually easy for me to write lyrics about the things I think rock. You know, <laughs> um, usually, <laughs> <Yeah>. usually, usually, <laughs> you're that's writing about just... something that's wrong. Exactly. Yeah. So. I, I know that at this point in my life, like I said, like we were touring a lot and we were kind of hitting an age where we're like, all right, well, we've been doing this for like heavy, heavy for a decade. And that was just putting some things in perspective. And you know that living this way is strange. And I, I, I think that I was just in a place where I felt and I honestly don't think that a lot of people in my life were actually responsible for making me feel this way. I think I was responsible for making me feel this way. But I don't know. I just felt like I was... Um, I had a big like self-imposed guilt trip, I guess I could, should put it that way, about being away all the time and never seeing people that I love in my in my family or whatever, you know, aside from the, the people who I love 
and I consider family out on the road and everything like that. But home life was just in a different place. Uh, nowhere, nowhere devastating. It was just we were so back and forth and it was just frustrating and I just had like a chip on my shoulder and I just was like human sandpaper. You know what I mean? I just like couldn't fucking figure it out. I couldn't feel comfortable anywhere. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I know exactly where you're coming from. And it's hard to tell people that, that aren't on the road as much as, you know, we are or mm-hmm. people that, that do this, that do this for a career. Um, you know, a lot of times, oh, you're just a rock star and you're complaining, but mm-hmm. you know, we've missed weddings. We've missed funerals. Yeah. We've missed births. We've missed birthdays. We've missed graduations, celebrations, um, milestones, that you, those things that you can't get back. When you talk about guilt trip, it starts to weigh on you. I think anybody that's been on the road for any amount of time that we have can, can, can uh, relate to those feelings. 100%, man. I, I, I think that like this was the beginning of me seeing like, okay, like we've been doing this for a certain chunk of time. Not like shit or get off the pot kind of vibe, but at the same time kind of thinking like, is this how life will always be, you know? Uh, and that it was in those moments of writing these lyrics, it, it was at least the, uh, you know, the kind of the launching point for writing these lyrics. It was a little scary, you know, like it was just like I had no, there's never, there's not much of a security blanket with what we do. I mean, look at the last few years, like everything's gone all of a sudden right. and you got to hustle to kind of, you know, make a living like when you can't get out there on the road. Some of it's mm-hmm. kind of Stockholm syndrome-ish, I feel like, you know, I not every single element of going on the road for a long time is great. You know, there are there are sure. challenges and everything. So that was kind of where the start, like where things started with that, with those lyrics. And then from there, well, we'll get into it. Well, I'm sure we'll get into it. If you're going through the <laughs> yeah, whole, no. if you're going through the whole song, we're gonna get into it. Oh, we're we're gonna comb through this whole okay, this yeah. whole bad boy. Yeah, I, yeah. Absolutely, I I gotta say something about the intro, Chris, that I didn't mention. I noticed in the video you're wearing a Sam I Am shirt, and uh, the, this part just as soon as it came on, it is just. I remember, I remember hearing the song for the first time. I'm like, that's so Sam I Am, like with that guitar, oh, riff, cool. that guitar lead, and it's just so good because they're one of my favorite bands uh, of all time, and it's a shame that more people never never uh, you know learned learn about that band because they're just they're. They're so, so good. And, and that reminded me of that. But in verse one here, when we drop out of that intro, the whole feel changes here. The drum groove is great. Yeah. The, the Paul's laying down. The guitar is predominantly panned right. You know, when I got the headphone on, I'm just listening to the left one, plug in my right ear. I can faintly hear, but it's mostly panned off right. Uh, on embarrassment, in the second line, the bass comes in there and it's killer. Oh, yeah. It's so that groove. Thick groove. Yeah. No, the groove that John lay, is laying down down is is so good and i noticed that there's a very it's great but it's a very subtle harmony on the last line but tonight i'll bite my tongue clean off Mm -hmm. right there and i kind of want to talk about now before we move any further uh i was unfamiliar actually i I couldn't find anything on these guys and you you had told me yesterday that uh peter van hilvort and Derek hoffman produced Mm -hmm. the record in conjunction with one another i guess Derek uh, also mixed the record yeah so talk to me about these guys how how uh hands-on were they in the studio for something like that harmony right there was that something you came in with or were they pushing you hey maybe we should put a harmony here how, how was that uh, working out um i feel like over the last few records have really honed in on my ability to deliver on harmonies and stuff i love it i'm usually the annoying guy if you like you're we're driving if my wife and i are driving around like listening to music i'm like harmonizing everything she's like i fucking get it you're a singer jesus christ i i love i love harmony and i love writing 
uh, I love kind of throwing as much as we can at something and then stripping back the layers and seeing what we really need, you know? I think, like, for our earlier records, especially Cavalcade, maybe Cavalcade and Dead Language, working with Steve Risen, who made all our records up until uh, right. Inviting Light, right. we did a lot of harmonies. Him and I loved harmonies. We would do thirds, we'd do low octaves, high octaves. We tried to just, like, you know, kind of just throw everything at it. And with this record, there was a similar approach in the studio, and and Peter and Derek were definitely are definitely two very talented songwriters and musicians, and you know uh, they were the perfect people to help us make this record, perfect people to produce this record. And my mind kind of matches up uh, harmonies to the melodies like pretty quickly, but mm-hmm. I also I like to with harmonies in the studio. I like to move quickly. There were definitely moments making this record that they were kind of like, well, we could try this different kind of harmony for that same line if you want as well. And they just had these cool ideas. I mean, really, Peter is a rock and roll guy. And to me, Derek is more of a pop guy. And we were the punk band in the middle, uncertain if we were making a punk record or not. So it was kind of the perfect mix of of styles and and and, and talents and everything because it was just Peter's long-running band, Teenage Kicks, had just split up and he's this kind of hometown hero of ours that he's like your most talented buddy who's never gotten a fair shake. You know what I mean? Uh, gotcha. He's been working in music ever since I've known him before I ever met him for years and years. And he's just like this incredible songwriter, extremely talented musician. And to have him come in and help us with this record was unreal. I mean, just to get his opinion on like how these songs should move uh, where we could take them, you know, delivery, tones, everything like that. Like, he's just, he was an amazing sounding board. The song sounds amazing, and it's mixed great. There's great separation, but I also fear there's some crazy uh, delays and overtones with the guitars. It was kind of hard to discern. I picked up, I always pick up a guitar and try to go through the songs. Did you capo this song on the second fret, or what was your tuning on this? No, it's it's open. It's just a weird, especially that chord that the song starts on, and like the reintro begins on each time. Right. It's a really dissonant thing. It's four on the A string and two on the G string, so it's like okay. a it's like an inverted octave shape almost. You know, I was capoing second fret and getting it and playing uh, it. I yeah. guess my own, my yeah, I was playing it my own way. And yeah. what an interesting! It's haunting. <laughs> it's a haunting, uh, really a great part. Thanks, man. Scott and I went full tilt, like guitar nerd world with this record, which was really fun. And uh, we learned a lot of great lessons from it. And like, and Derek and Peter are both great guitar players. So Derek came into the fold when we started recording guitars and vocals for this record because we had done the bass and drums at a different studio. And we did bass and drums live together because when John and Paul link up, it's just perfect. So... We did all that, and then we moved into Derek's studio to do the rest. And at this point, it was only supposed to be Peter producing the record. But after the first day in Derek's studio, Fox Sounds, Peter called Scott and I after the session and was like, hey, I think it would be smart of us to include Derek as a producer in this record because like, the first day, he just had these great ideas for you know tones and all this stuff. Like This record was... We were a little less prepared going into record Inviting Light than we had been for the other records because it all kind of felt a little new. You know what I mean? So there was a bit of an element, like arrangement wise, we knew what we wanted to do, but even like some guitar parts and stuff, we were, Scott and I were still like, ah, wait, we'll leave that to the studio and kind of figure it out. We almost never work that way. We almost always go in like everything's ready to rock, 90% prepared, 10% magic, you know? But this one was a little more like 70 30. So it was, um, 
it was cool to see like the first day unwind and unravel the way it did. And Derek had some really cool ideas for like guitar stuff, like a part we were working on and everything. And he like, you know, he was like, I remember Scott, it was Scott's part we were laying down for a song that didn't make the record uh, called Moves Too Quickly. But um, we were writing this kind of bridge part and Derek was like, can I see your guitar for a second to Scott? Scott hands the guitar over and he, Derek said like, you can kind of shape it this way and, you know, does his thing on the guitar. And just this, it was just one of those little things in the studio. It was a very simple change, but it just opened the whole part up. And it's that thing where you're, you've been looking at it the whole time, but you can't see it, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. uh, it was great. And I think Peter's interest in like involving Derek in the production role was that he didn't want to keep have maybe having those things happen. And like Peter's not the guy being like, I'm the producer. You know, he he was he wanted to like nurture that talent of, of Derek's as well and like allow it into the process. So we ended up with a co-producer role for the record between Derek and Peter. And like, we're so lucky for it because it just made the record what it was, you know. Hey, don't go anywhere. Chris to Makes a Podcast will be right back after a few words from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with the Spotify Canvas Generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. Hello, everyone. Chris Fafalius here. I know you've heard us talk about the Chris Demakes a Podcast supporting cast many times here on the show, but you know what? I'm going to talk about it again. If you go to ChrisDemakes.com and sign up for our supporting cast, you'll help us continue to make this show, which I'm assuming you love. Not only that, but you'll get access to our weekly episode of the After Party Podcast, which I promise is a lot of fun. In fact, you'll get the entire huge back catalog of episodes, including this one I'm about to play a clip from. This one had originally aired right after our episode with Dee Snyder, so we did a time capsule episode that explored everything that was going on in the world in September of 1984 when Twisted Sister's We're Not Gonna Take It was released. I also noticed, Chris, that 1984 is when Wendy's introduced their big catchphrase. Where's the beef with Clara Peller? <laughs> you got old it. Cla 
Old Clara Peller. That was, I'll tell you, I want to say that that commercial, it may have debuted on like the Super Bowl that year or something. I'm telling you, it was as if you went to bed one night and that wasn't around and you woke up and went to school the next day and everyone from down the down this corridor of a hallway, where's the beef? Where's the beef? It was all, it was huge. Wow, people in 1984 were so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we were. Yo, Chris, where's the beef, bro? (laughs) (laughs) Where's the beef? Where's the beef? What does that even mean? Uh, it means that the other uh, burger franchises, the McDonald's and the Burger Kings, they skimped on the beef. And Wendy's didn't cut corners. Remember, they had the square patties. That was their slogan for a while, too. Oh. We don't cut corners. Oh. So they were they were, they were were giving you more meat for your money. I get it. I get it now. Yeah. If you want to hear the rest of that episode, plus a ton of other episodes for less than the cost of a meal at Wendy's, head over to ChrisToMakes.com and sign up for our supporting cast. We don't cut corners on the After Party Podcast, and even if you're like me and don't eat meat, you'll still enjoy our beefy bonus episodes. That's ChrisDemakes.com. Go check it out. And now, on with the show. And speaking of that guitar part, I was I was talking to you about a moment ago. I almost hit you up last night. I'm like, I can't hit this guy up again. I hit him up for 20 hot water music, so I'm not going to bother him about his own band. <laughs> but uh, after after verse one here on the last uh, line there, when you say "bite my tongue clean off," the band stops and off. That when you're singing that word, that trails into the chorus. All my friends are nervous wrecks. Don't have the time to take a breath. Yeah, all my friends are nervous wrecks, preoccupied with looming death certificates of whatever is trending next. I should sing it like that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Don't know if it would have as much impact, but okay. <laughs> uh, What's going on here, man? So the chorus kind of serves more as like the feeling that you're kind of getting to a part of your, a point in your life where you really got to make some shit happen like you're you're a full-fledged adult now and you got to i mean you know living in like a big city and playing in a band and working in a bar and everything like i have a bit of a peter pan thing going on but like it there is this constant reminder of like this might not last forever and uh, just mm-hmm. i think just certain encounters with friends around that period of time you know it was not like people were necessarily showing cracks, but it just kind of felt like a lot of friends like our age, you know, their daily lives were getting a little more complicated or stressful or just have more responsibility. You know what I mean? Like like our friends are having kids, people are getting married, like life goes on and, and everyone grows up. And it was just my Peter Pan world was butting up against the real world. And uh, yeah, those lyrics came out of that feeling, I guess. 
this chorus is really different for for what's going on here. You get a harmony on Time to Take a Breath. You get a definite harmony on Looming Death Certificates. And there's also a harmony on Of Whatever is Trending Next on all those lyrics. But it was hard again to discern. There's a really cool uh, vocal delay, vocal treatment going on with your voice here, too. So I'm also hearing on the first line and the third line, did you double your vocals? Is that what I'm hearing there? I doubled most of the chorus vocals for these songs, for this record. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of usually okay. usually my MO in the studio is to kind of, you know, like beef up the chorus a little bit, and then we'll just kind of sprinkle in a little harmony on top. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Well, that, that was definitely what I, what I was hearing there. On Nervous, uh, the first lyric on Nervous Rex, a uh, single hi-hat hit happens and three floor tom and snare hits. And then the drums are back in on the second line. Uh, and they're playing what I'm calling that Motown beat from the intro. And after breath, when you say breath in the second line, it stops. The whole band stops and you can hear the guitar. It almost sounds like a tremolo that's happening there. Is that is that what that is? Man, we were thick into like the delay, and we had the holy yeah. grail going, and some tremolo. We had a lot of stuff. Like it looked, the floor of the studio at Foxtons looked like a fucking anxiety attack. It was insane. <laughs> like just <laughs> cables and everything was just. We weren't writing anything down. You know what I mean? We were just. Yeah. Oh my god, it was madness. <laughs> yeah. it, was an ep- it was an episode of Hoarders at a, at a studio Fuck, recording it studio. Was, yeah, the welcome to my brain. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that that's what I'm hearing there, that that trem, and it's it's so cool how everything and and rarely do you get a chorus where everything completely stops. That's an oddity in yeah. a chorus. It doesn't happen, and it's just it's a really neat part, and I love hearing that trem there. Well, after we get out of chorus one, we go immediately into an eight bar reintro uh, with that great guitar lick from the top, and it's just it's, you got that nasty chord again. Oh it, yeah, that 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 nasty chord that I'm I'm using a, erroneously using a capo on the second fret <laughs> too, but I, I somehow made it work. Darn you got it. it. But yeah, I love when it comes back in. It's just oh, that part feels so good. We get into verse two. Yeah, which again is a crazy scream. <laughs> yeah, accused of being gone along while still you know my phone's been off. Yeah, I'm losing sleep trying to word your final line eloquently. I don't know if I've ever heard eloquently sang in a song, but you did it pretty perfect. <laughs> the, uh, so the, the end of that lyric is actually trying to word your bio line eloquently. Bio line. Yeah. I picked the wrong uh, uh, a search engine here. Okay. You may have. That's okay. That's okay. It's bio line. That part kind of matches up to the last lyric of the first chorus, which never happens again. Uh, just kind of that feeling of everyone's lives changing and your responsibility ramping up and, and just, you know, being kind of maybe backed into a corner just from the world. Uh, but you still waste so much goddamn time you know, on the internet and social media and all these ways to just like blow off this steam. But that becomes the place that everyone is a different version of themselves. That becomes a place where everyone gets to make up their own version of their own life to put out there into the world. The insincerity of it all. 
is kind of where the second verse ends. Uh, where it begins is 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 really that kind of what I more of what I was saying earlier, like the no one really making me feel this way, but myself making me feel this way of like, you know, people would say like, oh, you know, you never call me anymore and be like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm on the road. Like, you know what I do? I mean, it sucks. I know I'm away a lot, but like my phone, my phone is on as well. You can call me uh-huh. <laughs> that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And I, and I get it. It's just, it's, it's, I think again, like this point in my life, these moments I'm writing these lyrics, I'm like I said, I was just sandpaper. You know what I mean? I don't know why. I just had I was there was some friction. Sounds to me like there was a lot of reflection with with others, with your friends and in life and, and and certainly reflection with yourself going on here. Yeah, absolutely. It usually is with when I sit down to write lyrics. Um at least, you know, in the past it's it's that's happened a lot. And yeah, I think that that first line of the second verse just is born out of those times where people are like, oh man, like I haven't heard from you in so long. Like you never hit me up anymore. I'm like, well, this is a fucking two way street, buddy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like let's meet in the middle here. Call me. Gotcha. Well that that's that, that I was wondering about what that what that lyric meant. That's cool. Well there's some things in verse two that I think are awesome. The bass is right off the top here, unlike uh, verse one. Bass comes in right off the top. Uh, the guitar is off to the right uh, for the first half here, like verse one. Um, when you hit that second yeah, the second uh, part of the verse here, there's a backing vocal that goes like yo oh. Yeah. yeah. It's very, very subtle and kind of buried, but it's so good. Was what was that? Was that something that you had uh, thought of before going in, or hey, we need something here? It's it almost sounds, and not in a bad way. It almost sounds like, what does this have to do with the rest of the song? Where did it come from? But at the same time, it works perfectly. I love that. Oh, cool. That, uh, that backing, yeah, I love that backing vocal. It's great. Thanks, man. Um, that was just something I always heard. You know, it's one of those things that if you never lay it down, you'll always wonder every time you listen to it. Because after you <laughs> yeah. like after you re- write and record the record, then you're punished with the uh, mixing process of a record, which like I now love. But I used to I used to hate because it just like it would ruin the record for me for so long. So after you've spent years or whatever, months or years, or whatever, making the record, then you got to still listen through the mixing process so many times. Make sure you got it. Everything's good. and You're happy with it and you're ready to put it out into the world. And I feel like if you don't scratch those itches you have while you're in the studio, you never want to be in the position of during the mixing process, like f- like wrapping things up and finalizing things, still wondering what it would have sounded like with that little little ear candy thing you had in mind. Gotcha. You know, uh, not being there, and it uh, that was one of those things. I just always heard like a little soaring, like low, but to me, it kind of soars right through that that part. It's great. I also love the second half here, right around that time. The guitars, uh, that guitar that's off to the right, it now goes in stereo for the first time in the verses. Yep. And it's just, it, it's so powerful. Uh, you get a harmony on the last line here, trying to word your final, excuse me, trying to word your bio line. Your bio eloquently. line. Yeah. There's, there's a harmony there. And uh, eloquently holds out, much like the first time when off held out, uh, eloquently holds out over chorus number two. eloquently Uh, all the 
lyrics here in chorus two are the same, except uh, it, it starts off with C instead of cuz. You say, mm-hmm. cuz all my friends are nervous wrecks in chorus one. This is C, all my friends are nervous wrecks. You're kind of owning it and acknowledging it, not wondering about it, it seems there. And then the yeah. last line, instead of, of whatever is trending next, the lyric here is, and reading too much into this. You get harmonies, again, on looming death certificates and the last line uh, that I had just read. This chorus is interesting because instead of it, you know, being silent off the top, the drums play a snare roll for the first two lines as the guitar panned off to the right is doing a a melodic octave part. The guitar off to the left is playing eighth note palm mutes and the stop after breath, you hear that tremolo guitar again. It happens there. So again, you're getting a a second chorus with that stop, which is kind of odd, odd for a chorus, but it's, uh, it's really cool here. Talk about this chorus in terms of saying C instead of cuz and, and why'd you change that last line and why was the rest of it the same? I think through the second, like once the second verse was written, like you said, it definitely like cemented my belief of like, yeah, my friends are all nervous. Like, look what's going on around us. Like this guy's, this guy's saying I never call him and he never calls me. This guy's just on the internet all the time while like saying everything's great while his life's falling apart. You know what I mean? I, I'm the guy, you know, wondering like how, how long life will be like this, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it just like, it further cements as the song goes, goes on. And I always like those kind of little changes like that, you know, uh, in songs. It just, it's a, it's such a blip. It's such a moment, you know, it's a, a, a small moment, but I, I just, I don't know. I think it makes it interesting and it kind of, to me, those choices can tell a lot more of a story, even if there's such minute details. And then the end line is kind of a response to what I'd sing about in the second verse. I'd be like, which one of you motherfuckers out there are going to think this song is about you? Because <laughs> it might not be about anyone in particular, you know? Uh, yeah. It's just a feeling that I'd been having, you know? Um, okay. But <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is me smashing the stereotype we talked about earlier of, of Canadians being nice. I, for some reason, I just can't, <laughs> I just can't for the life of me write lyrics about stuff i like so i just that's when i let the asshole out i guess <laughs> and yeah uh, well yeah. i'm i'm glad i'm glad you at least acknowledge that you're usually pretty even keeled except <laughs> when it comes to writing lyrics yeah. because you are man you're just you're just really really level but we all have our breaking points and i think we all for you know we we all have to as cheesy as it sounds we have to bleed for our art sometimes you know you have to go yeah. through struggle and through pain and and have some anger and emotion to get what you want right after chorus 2 uh we come into what I'm either calling here as a post-chorus musical interlude or a bridge with no vocals. Yeah. Uh, this thing is 16 bars. Certainly the, the, the second half of it could uh, have had lyrics, uh, could have had words. But I think leaving the singing off, it gives the back end of this song so much more power. I love that the first eight bars, it's just going along, got stereo guitars. And then from bars nine to 16, those guitars are joined by an octave guitar. Was there ever talk or did you ever have any lyrics uh, there on the second half or anywhere during this bridge? Not exactly. Like the interesting thing about this song, and I think part of the reason why we left the bridge open was that, so the chorus as it is now and as it's known was in my mind, the pre-chorus. 
and then the chorus was going to be the the instrumental reintro as as we hear it now and when we showed the song to pete he like i sang the i kind of wrote the the what what i thought the pre-chorus lyrics would be later on i had the melody but i wrote the lyrics a little later on and it was probably like a what yeah, like the verses were written before the what now become is you know has become the chorus lyrics. Uh, so it was probably a week or two before we recorded the record. I showed Pete the idea, and I was like, "This is what I got for the pre-chorus." I'm still kind of working on fine-tuning like the part for the chorus after that, but like all you know, this is what I got for now. And he was like, "That's the chorus. That's a pre-chorus. Like, and you don't have a chorus yet. The well, then you have a chorus <laughs> kind of thing, you know." <laughs> um, and you know, I now that you say that, and it's funny because this thing has that weird stop in there. Yeah, this does sound like, and this doesn't negate the fact that it's a chorus and it's a great chorus, but this does sound like a pre-chorus setup almost. Yeah, it like that's the thing. Like, I thought we were setting it up for something, and we are, but that's it's just that like that, that's kind of why like the the arrangement of the song is is interesting. But it's it's a pretty simple song, right? I mean, in its parts, but it's yeah, yeah, like. We we, I thought it was going to ramp up to the chorus, and then that just became the instrumental reintro. But the way that reintro hits, even without vocals, like I think we, I think we nailed it, right? So it was cool to have that. Like we almost took a left turn with it, but I'm really happy with how it turned out. And because of that, we knew we wanted to. Once we realized that was going to be the chorus, uh, then we wanted to have, you know one more kind of crack at the chorus but make it a little different so that's why we do the quiet <laughs> chorus f- for the end of the bridge and then the outro the last verse whatever you want to call it is just like it's the reintro chords yes but with verse melody over top so that's where shit gets kind of fucking muddy but <laughs> but i think because we kind of we we for some reason stacked it up that way because it just felt good like i always heard the yeahs echoing in like that the yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah the layers of it coming in one by one ever since i came up with that original idea i was like it's got to end with that too and once we kind of put all those pieces in place we felt like well the bridge we could just rock out in the bridge for a bit you know like yeah, yeah. And I think that's perfect. And the and the bridge is awesome. It just feels so good, especially when those octaves come yeah. in. It's just like, yeah, you feel it's, it's like it's like what I call a driving song. You just want to go 100 miles an hour <laughs> yeah, and just yeah. and, and just no, it is. It's it's great. And but then you come out. I call this the fake out chorus, yep. Chris. Yep. Because Big you're time. not getting much in. You're not getting much information here. You're just getting the hookup. all my friends are nervous wrecks yeah all my friends are nervous wrecks and this thing here there's great interplay between two guitars one is doing octaves yep. there and that octave just little moving around and what it's doing there with the vocal is is just uh it's really neat but yeah i'm, I'm, I'm calling this the fake out chorus <laughs> at the very end on yeah all and then on friends you get these little just taps on the ride cymbal that are happening and then at the very end there's drum hits with the bass and guitar and the floor kick and the snare it's it's like six hits uh with the bass doing eighth notes before we get into this outro at the end here and the outro as you said is playing over the intro progression Tonight out by my 
when that hits and you hear that yeah and now it's funny when i go back to the the, the intro of the song yeah the yeah is there but you, you can sing this outro over the intro and it's yeah. just it it's really cool how you guys came back to that but uh the lyric here is the same at the top yeah i'll hang my head for this legacy of embarrassment yeah i usually sing along but tonight i'll bite my tongue and again was there any thought and i have first of all i haven't asked you this yet do you have a demo of this you could share Ooh, I must have something. Yeah, let me try to dig something up. I must have it somewhere. It'll be called Joe Dirt 3 still, so. end you know there's not too much looking at this you know just just on paper here there's not a ton of information i feel like this outro and i almost feel like in a weird way the verses i feel like this song's almost flip-flop to me where, where those are the choruses in this song it becomes the chorus because of the vocal delivery and the yeah and yeah uh, yeah that's cool. just because the, po- the 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 power and the and the weight of all that was there thought of changing this lyric at the end, or did you want it to be the same as at the top? I wanted it to be the same as the top, just like, you know, I wanted to, obviously it ends, the phrasing of the outro ends earlier than the verse phrasing does, so I, it would be a little different. Yeah. And like I said, I like I like those little different changes and stuff like that in in writing lyrics and stuff. So, I mean, at this point, the, it's, it's just the punctuation of the thought of just kind of like, you know what, maybe I'm just the only one that feels this way. That's kind of like, I'll just bite my tongue. You know, maybe maybe I'll just keep this to myself is the idea. But the the irony is, obviously, I wrote a song about it and sing it every show now. So <laughs> gotcha. And, you know, I was I listened to this a bunch and it sounds like the back half of this that the chord progression changes. It does. We go to D here. the third time. That's of right. four through. Yeah, we go to D. There you go. Yeah. Right after yeah. embarrassment before the third line, it, it, it changes there. And then it needed a little lift. We, we tried it without and it just like. It wasn't boring because it's still such a quick part, but it needed a, a tiny little bit of a lift to kind of, even if it's just lizard brain stuff, to kind of like give you the sense of like, oh, it's the chorus chord again because the chorus was starting to D. And yeah, it just exactly. helped. It just helped kind of complete the circle a little bit. No, that that's great that you put that. I I, I love that change. It's awesome. Um, at the very last two lines here, the drums go double time again on the uh, on the second yeah that you uh, that you let out and uh, on along. I always write this uh, to me when when guitars and, and and the drums hit the uh, bass and like the symbol the bass drum and the cymbals. I call them D U N dun dun yeah dun. yeah. So <laughs> I like on that. along here along you get dun 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 and then on the last two words my tongue my tongue the band ends on those accents and then you get that suspense that weird chord that just kind of ends the song with some feedback and it's yeah. it, it's uh it's perfect uh but before we break here you know this show when we're researching for songs of what to do you know Chris and I will typically look at like youtube spotify you know apple playlists and be, figure out and this song's like arguably like you're one of your most popular flatliner songs yeah which you know that is awesome this far in your career that a new song ha- has that impact on fans i agree man We're- 
It was beautiful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You guys have some really, really killer songs, but you know, I can see why this is a fan favorite. This song to me is is just uh as you said, it's it it's simple, but it's it's within the execution. It's what Derek and Peter brought to the table, everything you were talking about. Uh it's a it's a great punk rock song. I love it. Thanks, dude. It uh it was it was the first song we put out for this record, and I think I, I, I know that when Inviting Light came out, it confused some fans uh, because of the stylistic shift and all these things. Um, but now, being you know five years later, which is kind of crazy, a lot of folks have come around to, I guess, understand the record more. And um, I think that this song... I mean, honestly, like hearing, hearing the final version of this song was I remember like one of the most fulfilling like musical moments like in my life to that point like hearing the final outro with all the layered yaz coming in over top of each other oh, and all that yeah. stuff those ideas that you have in your head for months and months if not longer and just to finally hear it and you don't have to be the one making the noise to hear it um it's it's really special man it's really magical and like making this record was was uh it was really fun it really felt like we were kind of rediscovering how to invent our own wheel and it was uh we had a great team on it and it was when it came out like i said it confused some people but i think like now a lot of those people have have kind of figured out how it makes them feel and it's really beautiful because i mean as far as records go like i like a grower and not a shower you know i uh <laughs> oh yeah that's i really do that's a great point that's something i don't think i've ever addressed uh, on the show is is what you just said some of my favorite records were I, I would get it i didn't get it i'd listen to it again i didn't get it i'd listen to it 10 times i didn't get it, and all of a sudden one day i put it in and it's like it just clicks yeah you know that's some of the coolest uh coolest music that uh way that music hits me when I, when that happens to yeah. it but before before we uh we head off here what what do you got coming up we want to leave the listeners with what's up with the flatliners what's up with hot water music where where are you going i know you're you said you're moving so you're a busy guy we're moving soon oh there's a lot going on so the flatliners got a new record coming out uh nice. we recorded it last late last year in total secret and we got a new song out uh i mean i by the time this comes out, we might have a few songs out, but we got a new record coming out in August called New Ruin, and we got Hot Water Music's new re newest record, Feel the Void, is out, came out in yes. March. I've been so fortunate to be a part of that whole process, and it was just so surreal and fucking beautiful, and yeah, I feel very fortunate to be invited into the... Uh, to the big, you know, official Gator Guys party. I like to call them the Gator Guys. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we've been touring a lot. And now, you know, I, I'm going to be doing both bands kind of on the road all year. So this summer is going to be a wild one. But I'm looking forward to it. I mean, after a couple years of not being able to do it, and then the last few months of being really busy only with Hot Water, as we're kind of waiting for the flat stuff to ramp up again, it's been a really great way to like kind of get back to feeling like myself, you know, and good, once, good. once both are going, you know, full steam ahead, it's going to be a wild ride, but I'm looking forward to it, man. That's kind of, yeah. You're going to miss way more weddings and birthdays. Fuck. I know. It's yeah. I got to just <laughs> like all my friends got to stop having kids, stop getting married. I know. I know. You know what? It's so ironic too. Like the two years I was home were the years that we weren't really allowed to see anyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Holy no, you, shit, yeah, man. Exactly. Well, listen, man, I, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to sit in today. I, I, it's been awesome. Thank you for having me, buddy. It's great to chat with you.
There's lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast after a few words from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Find Yourself, the new single from Punchline, is out now. All leader, all follow, I just want to get there. If anyone knows better, then please show us out of here. I'm not saying I know, but I see the next step. If that's all we can get, then it's better than zip. This is not just me. Listen to Punchlines, Find Yourself on Apple Music, Spotify, and everywhere you stream music. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Run Into the Night, an indie garage band duo from Glasgow, Scotland, consisting of Christina Cassette on guitar and vocals and Andrew Riddell on the drums. Their music can be found on all the digital platforms. Here's a snippet of their song, Common Stream of Consciousness. Chris and Chris. So Chris, that was once again a double Chris. If you include me, a triple Chris episode. And once again, I found myself, as I do a lot of times, really relating to what the guest was saying, especially this week when Chris was talking about he can't write lyrics about things that he likes, about things that rock. He seems like a pretty optimistic guy. I feel like I'm in general a pretty optimistic guy, but I find myself in the same situation. If 90% of my life is going right, I'm going to write about that 10% that's going wrong. If 100% of my life is going right, I will channel into something that I see as a problem with like a friend or something and tap into that when it comes to writing. Just something about having to channel into a certain amount of misery or angst or something. That's where I feel like my best inspiration comes from. I, I really related to that when he talked about that. Yeah, I did too. You know, friction, turmoil, and strife that, uh, that breeds uh, creativity in, in, in a lot of people, you know, and uh, we've often heard it said, I mean, I always hark back, harken back to the D Snyder episode. He's like, you know, when they were making stay hungry, the, you know, the big record was, we're not going to take it. It's like, they were hungry. You know, they were just, they didn't have a, a, a pot to piss in. They just were, you know, working their tails off, trying to make a living. And then after that, he's uh, sitting poolside trying to write lyrics for the next record. He had nothing to write about. And I've, I've, right. that, that's kind of stuck with me. And I, I, I can relate to that, but yeah, Chris is one of those guys, uh, he, you know, he, self-admittedly he's, He's pretty even kiltered, but we as humans all have our moments. But I can't think of another guy that I've spent as much time on the road with as Chris where, you know, inevitably, uh, you know, people that are positive, you're going to see him on a day where, you know, they they 
I don't know, they, they, they had food poisoning or something. They pull up to the venue. They're, they're not feeling good. They look miserable. He just has a, a mile-wide grin on at all times, so positive. How you doing, Chris? Good to see you. He's just one of those people. So to hear him uh, show a little bit of vulnerability of like, yeah, I have to, I have, to have some, uh, some kind of turmoil in my life to write, that was, that was cool to hear. Yeah, and he talks about living the strange life of being in a band. And man, isn't it a strange life? Don't you know better than anyone what a strange life it is to make <laughs> being in a band your career? You talked about he talked a lot about the guilt trip of being away, and I get that part of it, but I also feel like there were times I was away where it wasn't so much guilt, it was almost like jealousy of like looking back at home and seeing like i mean you're out with your friends but you'll see people doing certain things i want to be at that party i want to do that thing and that can be relatable to anyone who travels not just being in a band but yeah we know all about that right absolutely i you know the grass is always greener i remember the early days getting out there on the road and and i'd go home to visit my parents for the holidays or something and you know run into somebody at a party and just like oh man and they would just have a million questions and they were so enamored by what i did and you know i i, I would always go back to them what have you been up to i can't tell you how many times they would just be like same old crap no, 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 for real. What have you been up to? I want to hear about your life. And they and they'd start. Well, we went last week down to a golf tournament. Like, I wish I was at that golf tournament with you. That would have been fun. You know, like right. you, again, the grass is always greener. But some kind of normalcy is nice when you've been touring as much as we have. And I completely related when, when he said that. Yeah. One other thing that he said that I related to Chris, and I'm sure you're going to be able to say the same thing, is he talked about, and I think it was in reference to one of the guys who they were working on this album with. He talked about the best guy you know at music who never got a fair shake. Someone from your city who is so out of this world talented, yet never got that chance to show it on a larger scale. I mean, I could think of I could think of 20 people off the top of my head. If I write a list, I could probably name 100 people like this. And I'm sure you could too. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I absolutely related to that. I, I know dozens of people that fit that exact definition of of what he laid out. Um, And and to be fair, though, most of those people uh, that I do know I don't want to say they're not go-getters. That's the wrong word. But, you know, you, you sometimes you have to be beyond tenacious. You have to be just cutthroat and and, and almost a jerk at points. And I, I, I can I can say that because I've seen guys uh, in bands and, and guys and gals that get out there that don't have a sliver of talent that this unknown person has that, that should be where they're at, but they are just cutthroat. They're go-getters. They're out there. They're working it like a job. And some of these people that uh, aren't, uh, I, th- I think that's the reason why. Not all of them. I don't want to say that's a general rule, but uh, it's interesting. that A lot of them just aren't cut out to be that that person. Right. And Chris, even more than just being cutthroat, it's being ambitious and also being a good business person. (laughs) It's like that kind of comes with the territory if you want to, uh, you know, quote unquote, make it in music. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of skills you have to have. And some people are just good at music and that's it. They're not good at marketing, promotion, business. You know, they're just talented and well and factor yeah. factor in right right place right time yeah, right timing. people there there there's 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 so many factors but yeah i thought that was interesting because i i definitely have known so many people that uh should be more well known but uh, again there's there's so many uh different processes and factors that go into it yeah and when you see those kind of people it reminds you to not take 
what you know for for me personally anyway it reminds me to take the fact that people know and like my band on you know all over the you know all over the place to to whatever fan base we have uh it makes me feel really fortunate for that because yeah there's people more talented than me who don't have that and and should you know it's just that you know kind of yeah. put, put put the legwork in <laughs> and and one other thing i wanted to, i wanted to say about uh the band the flatliners they've never made the same album twice yeah and you you know you want to play it safe uh, a lot of times as a band it's like oh, our first record let's make a carbon copy of it. it it was successful and let's do that again and and again it's, it's a catch-22 oh they made the same record again or oh they've changed and these guys have evolved all and he even admitted it. Uh, all the guys in his band, himself included, they're 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 great musicians. They're very talented, and uh, I'm I'm stoked that they they've pushed themselves. I'm looking forward to hearing their new record because I think they've gotten better with every album they've ever done. I mean, that's what I prefer, man. I I want to hear bands progress. I don't want to hear the same album over and over again. I mean, if, yeah. if someone takes a swing, and in my opinion, it's a miss, I look forward to the next one. Take another swing. Mm-hmm. You know that I, that. That could just be personal taste. Maybe some people out there want to hear the same thing over and over. I, I get that, I guess. But yeah, I prefer I prefer the Flatliners method. Yep, taking a swing. And I'll tell you, Chris, some of our listeners should take a swing and hopefully not miss out on our supporting cast over at ChrisDemakes.com. You can join our supporting cast, our VIP program. Tell them what they get, Chris. Well, every week you get a bonus episode of our podcast called The After Party. I always say this, but it's only because people say it to me. A lot of people tell me they enjoy the After Party podcast as much as they enjoy the regular podcast. No offense to the regular podcast and the work that's put into it, Chris. But the After Party, it's a little bit looser. It's fun, but we put just as much love into it. Sometimes... The episode has to do with this week's episode, something, you know, kind of expanding upon this episode. Sometimes it has nothing to do with this episode. It's kind of whatever we want to do. But if you enjoy Chris and I and music, because that's what it's mostly about. If you enjoy music and Chris and I, you will enjoy it. And on top of that, you're supporting the podcast that you love for the cost of buying Chris and I just a few of those like you know those 99 cent Arizona <laughs> iced teas that you buy <laughs> I do I've had one of those in a while but it'd be like if you if you bought Chris and I just like a couple of those because you enjoy the podcast every month you're like hey I enjoy your podcast have two or three Arizona iced teas on me and we'd be like Thank you. Here, in return, we're going to give you more podcasts and some other stuff. Sounds like a deal to me. Once again, head over to chrisdemakes.com and sign up. As Chris said, for a couple Arizona iced teas, <laughs> you get a couple, you get some bonus episodes and you're helping support us. And if you haven't already, please join the Chris Demakes a Podcast Facebook group and give me a follow on Instagram at less than Chris D. I'd appreciate it. I want to thank this week's guest, Chris Cresswell, for hanging out with us, and we'll see you next week. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, 
Kebmo, Lake Street Dive, Bay Lafleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalist. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.